Okay, everyone, good morning. Very, very warm welcome to today's uh, Trading the European Open. So this is where you get your funds, institutions, and traders and investors all over Europe get into their trading desk, uh, looking for opportunities as markets open to uh, to try and exploit over the course of the, the trading day and, and, and potentially beyond. And what we're trying to do is trying to capitalize on on that reality, really. Um, so sometimes traders can get to their desk and they could do what we're probably doing is just looking at markets like the, the weakness in the dollar and, and looking at an opportunity for perhaps a bit of dollar strength, a little bit of profit taking, a little bit of uh, sort of a, a natural corrective move. And that's what we're sort of now suggesting with the indices potentially to the upside. So we're in a, few, a couple of trades. Um, we're in profit taking sort of zones. And the idea now is make sure whatever happens that we book in considerable profit on these trades and, and not look to give this back. And I noticed as well, overnight as well, we were quite close to um, to hitting uh, our profit targets on both of those trades. So only literally uh, a couple of couple of pips away. Okay, so let's get straight into it. We'll start, of course, with our risk warning. Take a brief moment to familiarize yourself with our risk warning currently up on screen. And let's uh, let's have a look at these market fundamentals. So after an important week with you know really good inflation numbers coming in out of the US, that they were absolutely going to take center stage, and all they managed to do was give a, a very significant green light uh, to these indices markets to kick on. Uh, with a really strong dollar trade underpinning it. So um, these things, they, they move in, in kind of bursts and, um, you know, we can have periods where we have to be really quite patient with these moves as well. Bank holiday in New Zealand and also in France. So um, slightly market can slightly lighter market conditions, nothing to actually concern ourselves with. Um, really and, and then at three o'clock we've got uh consumer sentiment numbers coming in a little bit more positive than than perhaps uh, the previous month which was a bit of a boost as well so um consumer sentiment along with lower inflation looks to be a little bit more positive for consumers um but apart from that nothing nothing too major uh we'll have a look at the charts it's important to just comment on the narrative um, which has been really a quite positive economic data. Um, it might encourage the Fed to ease rate hikes, perhaps pause, pivot, all these sorts of things will become discussion points really for the Fed with inflation down at 3%. We still have sticky core inflation. Uh, it's coming down, but it's not coming down as quickly as headline and um, uh and there's a couple of other areas of concern just regarding inflation, you know, built into the economy. So we're not, it's not, a, it's not plain sailing necessarily. Right. The first two, two, two things is to look at our uh, current open trades. Sorry, this is the S&P. Uh, those of you that are in the S&P, the same thing applies uh, to the on NASDAQ trade. 
just going to record yesterday's highs kind of got up there again but not quite so what's important for us now at this stage as we enter the european there's very little to kind of grab hold of, of these markets and look to start selling off really quite aggressively um any any strong selling is going to be met with buying this is why the, the, the dollar strength trade or, or the euro dollar sell trade um, can be quite short-lived. Um, so any kind of explosive move, you see, this is just a pullback off the highs. So let's take these lows. We were just a couple of pips away from actually booking in profit on that, which is a bit, a bit frustrating overnight. So this is just your straightforward pullback. So we'd be looking for structural failure trades. Um, the other thing to just take into consideration is whether the, the dollar is strengthening across the board and it looks like that's the case. That looks to be the case. Um, dollar yen strong bounce off this low down here um we kind of we just want to see if there's room for for much more much more dollar weakness uh, there is of course but um Because if we're seeing dollar strength across the board, and of course by dollar strength, we are talking about further downside in the euro dollar, further downside in the pound dollar, further upside in the dollar yen, um, further downside in the dollar Swiss, where we make new, new lows in these markets, dollar CAD, the Aussie dollar and the only reason that that you know when you look at some of these markets you've got sort of clearly defined resistance um and when you get such an extended move over over a short period of time you would always look for is this an opportunity for sellers is, is this is this the price see they can't make too many decisions um perhaps between the breakout and up at these highs. But now this is a, this more of a decision-making point. So um, it just gives that op opportunity to uh, sellers to get in. So So will this dollar strengthen? If so, we might just look to book in profit. You know, we'd be leaving kind of 30 pips on the table, but if the dollar starts to strengthen, you know, you'd only be eating into that. So we're going to look for dollar dollar strength 
So let's get the pound up. Let's see if the... And the Aussie as well. Okay, if these markets, you know, start turning quite aggressive and the dollar CAD pushes higher, the pound just uh, rolls over. Same situation with the Aussie dollar. If we make new lows, let's add gold to the mix as well. So we're already getting that rollover trade in gold. Um, Slightly different position, but there's still a little bit of momentum there. So the, the potential sell trade in gold would be more like the uh, the 1952. Still a pullback off the highs, like the euro dollar. So it's not a it's not a done deal, so to speak. But you get the general general gist, hopefully. Let's have a quick look at US oil as well. Okay, so we've got the euro dollar, which is looks like it's looks like there's an appetite for the euro. Of course, will you get some? You see, they're going to, there's going to be a bounce. So, the only thing is, we don't want this this strength trade, this dollar strength trade, to actually build up a bit of momentum and and to get back to our, you know, our take profit zone. Sorry, to get get back to our entry levels. Like we don't want to give back. You really want to get out of the the habit of giving back all your gains. It's better to take some gains and then if it pulls back to get into it again. So this isn't looking, this isn't looking too good. We're going to cover, we're going to cover this trade if it, if it just ticks a little bit lower, i.e. we're going to exit the trade and book in that profit. The, the moving average in the 15 minute, I don't think there is a moving average, not even close on the bigger time frames. So, um, so this is 
So this is the low that we're gonna we're gonna focus our attentions on. It's the twelve oh four. Um, it's the twelve hundred basically for as a little bit of a bounce for. The Nasdaq is 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 okay. There's no sort of immediate pressure with the Nasdaq, and we're just wanting to see if um, if this dollar strengthens further. So we're in profit-taking territory. Um, And we're in that sort of trade management sort of phase. So let's let's try and just clarify what we're looking for. So if we break below the the one twelve, we would anticipate further downside move. Um, the same really for the pound dollar. Uh, same situation for the Aussie dollar. And we want to see is gold strengthening. If so, we'd expect further downside there. And oil, when we get a little bit of a, a correct, and these are all corrective moves, not all tradable necessarily, but all corrective moves. And um, what we'd be looking to do is to be buying these markets at lower prices. So if Aussie dollar, if we pull back, it's a big pullback, but if we pull back to 67.06, there'd be strong buying. Um, oil, if it can get back to, 72.68 that would be strong buying at that price gold you'd probably have to come back to the 1930 level so all of these levels uh s p if we got to pull back into 44.65 there's likely to be strong support at that level So we just don't want all of these markets rolling over. So we've got our line in the sand uh, as far as the the Nasdaq is concerned, and as far as uh, the Euro dollar sell trade, and um, there's there's still two decent trades, um, and it's only if because our expectations our expectation is still for further upside, except we've sometimes you can reach a bit of exhaustion, and um, you get prices just 
um, consolidating up at you know certain levels, and and it looks like that's what we're experiencing so far. You know. So the euro dollar, the sell trade is that one twelve pretty much, and um, that's when we'll exit the trade. We've had an extended pullback now, so we need to make an attempt to make a new high. And if that fails, then that's an earlier signal to get out. Um, so if, if, if this market starts turning bearish, same with the S&P and starts to roll back below the 15,555 level in the NASDAQ or the 45.04, then it just gives, if you can imagine the psychology of these markets, and you're a seller, if you happen to be a seller, not too sure why you'd want to be a seller, but there'll be lots of lots of sellers out there. Um, and they'll be looking to capitalize on the corrective move, the technical move. You know, there's no fundamental selling opportunity really, but they'll see prices gathering for long periods of time, and they'll see prices begin to roll over to the downside, and they'll jump in and start selling. Okay, so it looks like the Aussie dollar is close to making new lows, the pound dollar, the euro dollar, um, gold, and that would all be reasons to sort of book in profit. And we want the, the US indices to actually kick on to the upside and not roll over. If they roll over, we're exposing our capital to, you know, a strong corrective move and um, no point giving back those profits. No point at all. Right, let's get some analysis. It's uh, it's an awful day here today. <laughs> really winterish. Got, got drenched getting to uh, getting into the office. So we put some analysis on. Um, we're just. We're just very comfortable with the situation so far. I know many of you got into the S&P um, yesterday as well, so well done if you did that. Uh, it's a bit of a kind of a no-brainer buy trade, really. Yeah, I think it was actually the 44.91 level, so a, a nice move to the upside. Yeah, I heard that the temperatures across Europe are... are unbelievable um yeah 48 degrees that would be uh that would be pretty intense during our time in france you know the weather was beautiful for most of it but you know we kind of topped out at sort of 30 degrees i think it got up to 31 at one point and, and that was getting a little bit uncomfortable especially at night time but um, yeah, sort of 48, 45, 50 degrees, that's just, it's kind of a different level, isn't it? All right, so, um, 
We're going to have to see what these markets do today. Now, we've done well to the extent that we're not going silly today at all. Um, if we get into this dollar strength trade, it might be one, maybe two, if, if we can sort of mitigate risk perhaps, but we're not, we're not going silly. We're not going big or anything like that. In fact, when you're in advantageous positions, it always makes sense to maybe even trade less size. So you're not, you're not going to give back much of, of your gains and decisions like that allow you to just consolidate profits and, uh, and see growth over time. Monday is a new trading week. We have new dynamics um, and uh, we can trade those conditions and they could be very separate and different to, to these conditions this week. So this is, uh, this is the reality of it. So we'll get out of um, the euro dollar below the 112. We, we get out of the, uh, the S&P, sorry, the NASDAQ trade at 15,555. And we're really curious to see if there is um, genuine support for the US dollar, which completely evaporated the last couple of days. Right. Um, so let's get some analysis then. Any questions, feel free to post them. We'll just wait and see what happens next, really. So if the euro dollar and the NASDAQ actually push higher, then great, we'll make more profit on those trades. If they both roll over to the downside, we will uh, book in profits in those two trades. And if they sit here doing nothing, then we shall also pretty much sit here and do nothing. So we've got every base covered. We've got buying, we've got selling, and we've also got sitting around doing nothing. So um, oh, okay. So you took profit last night on the euro dollar and US. Yeah, um, you know, we're really, really quite close. And we we're just a bit unfortunate on, on the euro dollar, I think, weren't we? Just two or three pips away. So no problem with that. Sometimes you get so close, you just want to just take take profit regardless. Uh, what was the high? Yeah, the 12.43. Okay, so that's just two pips away from booking in profit, which is a bit of a shame. Never mind. So US bank earnings. So the next focus will be in the United States, but the numbers overwhelm investors. See that trade uh, that shares were lower, just back into positive territory. Let's get a quick check on the broader indexes now. And this little volatile this morning, as we spoke on that Burberry share price, which have been down and is now up. We're flat on the FTSE 100 entirely. We're up two tenths of a percent on the CAC jar. We are down around two tenths of a percent on the Zetra DAX. So a little bit mixed. We're waiting to get into the US earnings story. That's going to be uh, crucially in focus. Let's have a look at some of the sectors. That so US earnings now. This is why next week could be a very, very different trading condition. This is why we want to book in profit. No, if we can. Let's get a look at some of the individual stocks that are on the move. Then Joey still joins us with uh, an update. Joe. 
So these are the biggest stock 600 movers today. Anna and the gainers here on the screen. We start over in Switzerland with Partners Group. That one is a private equity investment company, up around 4% after some strong sales. Meanwhile, Heineken, we had in stocks to watch earlier. They've got a new buy rating over at Goldman Sachs after three years, saying that demand concerns around beer volumes are overdone, and that stock should start to re-rate. Meanwhile, Telefonica Deutschland, the big telecoms firm over in Germany, gets an upgrade over at Morgan Stanley. They're turning positive on that one. Got Spirit Sarko as well, a UK engineering firm. That one has just underperformed a lot over the past year and is trimming some of those losses today, moving higher, as I say. We're also going to look at some of the decline. If they've got a bit of a Scandinavian feel today, we've got Nokia and also Ericsson. They're both down around 5%. The other ones we brought up are LifeCo. This one is an engineering firm that does machinery. That one's down quite a lot. They supply into the renewable energy space. Adtech as well, another industrial company, another engineer. As I say, Scandinavian stocks going not too well today. Another decliner, not on the screen, but falling today is Avocado. Uh, kind of a few big losses on losers, let's say. Investors have got an eye potential weakness in the retail space. Avocado declining as well in London. Joe, thanks very much. Joe, right, the Aussie dollar, gold looks like it's squeezing. Yeah, so that even better value vehicle. 
Okay, so capacity constraints is the is the, the part of the story there. Let me talk about the competitive environment in the United States on the EV front. So Ford was number two in terms of selling EVs in America last year behind Tesla. This year, Ford has fallen to fifth. I mean, to be fair, there's a big gap between one and two, and then there's 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 the others really. How are you competing? Do you think against the competition because it is very competitive? Oh, yes, it is. Uh, we're really into that next round of competitiveness on EVs. Again, this capacity. So the Mustang Mach EV is coming in line with three times the capacity, and the F-150 Lightning, having launched to great success, is actually quadrupling its volume capacity this year. So we have the car down right now, and we're outfitting it. So by the end of the year, you should see a much larger uptick in the run rate of electric vehicles aboard. We're obviously aiming for that number two this year. Okay, aiming for number two, and how is Ford doing on aiming for number one? I mean, I know that the CEO, Jim Farley, has got this goal of overtaking Tesla in EV sales. What's the date on that then, Darren? Yeah, so we have invested over $50 billion over the next four years, and we're aiming at 2 million vehicles globally uh, by the end of 2026. We're bringing a whole new set of models in. We'll have four vehicles, electric vehicles, Right, guys, sorry, bear with me just uh, one second, please. Yes, it is a game changer because people Sorry about that, guys. Apologies. And it really gives a great chance to everybody in the market that they, they have access to the same charging network. So it, does, it doesn't become a differentiating factor. Darren, focusing here on Europe, the EU's got plans to ban internal combustion engine cars uh, from 2035, but Germany has been trying to make some late changes to those ambitions. Uh, is this having an impact on customers' uh, level of commitment on electric vehicles or customer uncertainty? How are you seeing that play out? Well, we're still in the early days of EV adoption, especially at this rate. Um, and so it's really important to have education for customers as we go through that. They have many, many questions, and there are some myths out there that we really Good morning, everybody. Good to have you with us. Um, I hope you're all keeping well. Uh, a really positive week. Um, we're now beginning to see the turn, so uh, gold is beginning to to start selling off. Um, it looks like we're pretty close. Excuse me, sorry.
Uh, it looks like the um, the dollar is pretty close to uh, to continuing to strengthen, and we're keeping a close eye on it. So the the gold sell trade is the first one to kick in. It looks like the Aussie dollar is pretty close. The dollar CAD to the upside is pretty close. The pound dollar to the downside is pretty close, and the euro dollar um, is only sort of three or four pips away as well. So and and the thing is. The S&P, who's not, you know, it's not really moved too much, to be fair. Uh, it's just drifting sideways. But if that starts to roll below the 45.04 and the NASDAQ joins the group, all of a sudden you have a risk-off market condition or the potential for further risk-off market conditions. Um, and that's what we'd be... Um, that That's what would make us book in profit on these two... You know, decent trades. We were pretty close to booking in profit on those trades yesterday. Sorry, bear with me there one second. Right then. Okay, so so I guess the, the the issue for us is that we don't need to preempt the fact that the dollar is going to strengthen. Um, we kind of want to let it evolve, and if it does, and if we if we break these new lows or relative highs, you know, then prices are always likely to pull back into that level. So it's not necessarily about trading the the initial roll over to the downside it could be um our, our focus right now is just securing profits on the nasdaq by trade and the euro dollar and uh, we were two pips away from booking in profit on that uh, overnight four hours ago five hours ago so at the minute this is just a pullback and this is why we kind of want to see, you know, at least an attempt to make a new high. If so, that creates a, a structural low. And then if prices start to roll back below the 112, then it's time to book in profit on the trade. You just don't want to give it all back, you see. We'd rather book in profit, whatever profit the market decides or determines we, we, we should get is, is what we'll book in. Um, and, you know, if it pulls back, we look to buy it again at a lower price. And that's what we'd be looking to do with all of these is, is to buy these trades at lower prices. 
Excuse me. Early season could be a little bit choppy. This is going to be an early season mystery. Bloomberg breaks the numbers first. And we've just lost in the wild. Like 25%. Absolutely. So this is the, the next little phase of trades is based around U.S. earnings. We would anticipate. And if they come in in line or above expectations, we'd probably see some further upside. If they come in below expectations, we'd probably see a series of, of uh, bouts of selling. I think it's U.S. banks today, isn't it? The next market today, 44 minutes into the European trading session. And it's picture really developing, not going anywhere at the overall level. Top 600 pretty flat. Uh, the Capcom up a bit, the Zetrodax down a bit seems to be the best way to sum what we see on European equities today. Let's step away from the equity story and talk about something stateside that is of interest. For the first time in 60 years, Hollywood writers and actors are on strike at the same time. The Screen Actors Guild, which represents some 160,000 performers, announced a walkout yesterday after failing to reach agreement with a producers association, which represents studios, including Walt Disney and Netflix. Last night, the cast of Oppenheimer left the movie's London premiere. Having been seen on the red carpet, they left before the screening began. For more, let's bring in Bloomberg uh, Quick Takes, Alex Webb, who can take us through some of the details. I mean, it's important to say that, you know, there are some very well-paid actors, of course, in Hollywood, and this is that they are striking or in support of people who are much less well-paid. Uh, what is the impact that, that, that this could have on the industry then, Alex? As you'd expect, the executives are making a lot of noise, saying that it could be really disastrous for the for the film production companies. I think the actors probably quite justifiably say some of the changes happening in Hollywood are quite disastrous for them as well. Don't forget, what's happening right now in Hollywood is that there was this massive pivot towards streaming. They were all really, with a few notable exceptions, such as Sony, went headfirst into streaming. That is not a very profitable business. So at the moment, there's something of a recalibration happening where they're cutting back on um, content expenditure. Disney's pairing back its expense by about $3 billion. At the same time now, you've got the people who make this stuff asking for more money. So it's a tricky moment to negotiate. It's also, though, clearly an opportune moment to when they're perhaps more vulnerable. Right, so studios' new business model also facing higher costs, and one of those costs is, is, is the people they pay, and some of those people want some more money to offset inflation pressures. And so what are the points of contention? What is it that they're disagreeing about? And there are two sort of main ones. The first one is to do with residuals. This is where a lot of actors make their money as, as their career goes on, right? So you might be in an episode of Friends or Cheers 20, 30 years ago, but every time that show is broadcast, you might still get a check for a few thousand dollars. That's changed, that equation has changed with streaming. But, you know, it goes on to streaming. You have no idea if somebody's watching the show on Netflix in five, 10 years' time, you don't see another penny. So that is a, a big struggle that the, for the actors that they are pushing for. At the same time, there is the role of AI and, and CGI, right? That it's actually far easier now to replicate a human on screen, particularly some of, some of the background artists, right? So it means that they, these people often are earning, of course, the tens of millions of dollars that you know the big stars can make, but they still make their living from it. And so if their income is being cut substantially, then that's a problem. Yeah, the use of AI in this field, really uh, closely watched then. Alex, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Been very quick takes. Uh, Alex Webb with the latest on the media space. Now, PepsiCo has raised its sales and earnings estimates after a strong quarter, suggesting that consumers are still willing to pay higher prices for its drinks and its snacks. The CFO, Hugh Johnston, also commented on the safety of artificial sweetener aspartame. Mm -hmm. 
they don't have candor. Aspartame is probably one of the most studied ingredients in, in all of food and has been for a long time. I, I, I like to talk about it and say, aspartame is one of the few things that's been around PepsiCo longer than I have, because I've been here for almost 36 years at this point. Um, and, and the reality of it is, in over 100 studies, it's been deemed as safe. Uh, over 90 regulatory bodies across countries around the world, including the FDA and the European Food Safety Authorities, have all concluded that it's safe. And even the WHO itself has said that aspartame is safe as an ingredient. So, you know, I, I, I do believe that, uh, in fact, this is not going to be a significant issue with, with consumers based on just, you know, the preponderance of evidence that suggests aspartame is safe. It's a relatively small ingredient in some other sweetener packages as well. But again, relatively small. The, the amount of, of, of consumption on this is a, a tiny amount. Uh, so, I, as I said, I, I don't think consumers are really going to lock onto this one as, as a significant concern just based on the amount of time it's been out there and, and the fact that it has been declared safe by so many different bodies. That was the PepsiCo CFO, Hugh Johnston, some really interesting comments. He's speaking to our colleagues in the United States. Coming up, it has been an eventful week for the dollar. We'll wrap up the latest market moves next. This is Rita. Yeah, it has been an eventful week. Um, and could we get a bit of profit taking kicking in? That's what this price action is currently suggesting. Bit of profit taking. That's what, if we book profits in this, this is exactly what we're looking to do ourselves. Book in profits, having seen prices kind of move in our favor. Guys, we might grab a, go grab a cup of coffee. It doesn't look like anything's happening that quickly. So if these prices roll over to the downside, we'll book in profit at that point. As you can see, the euro dollar is just a pullback. Now we want to see that next attempt to push higher and make new highs. And if it does, we'll book in profit. You know, we've got to take profit just at slightly high levels. If it doesn't, then, um, you know, we, we'll, we'll exit the trade as it rolls over. Bringing with sensors. There's uh, several cameras that look out at your world because you're mapping your physical world so we can put the content in there. There's several cameras looking at your eyes so we know where you're looking in your physical world. And that's a lot of data. That's a lot of very personal data. Um, there's there's a, a number of other sensors on the device that are needed to make it work in the way it does. So we feel strongly that, uh, first of all, people should know what these devices can do. And um, All right, then. Um, let's go and grab a cup of coffee. Looks like we're getting a bounce now in, 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 the, in the euro dollar. Uh, if you've got any questions, anything you want us to look at, guys, feel free to post it into the chat box. We can use this time for, for looking at other markets or looking at other trades. We, and we've had for quite a while just a bit of a, a strong focus on, on the U.S. markets. They are the big ones. Uh, the, the data that it collects, 
there needs to be an understanding that the user needs to understand the level of data that it's all right then guys uh listen my pleasure let's go and grab a cup of coffee and um But I leave you with some analysis. Let's grab a cup of coffee. And we'll be back. We'll be back shortly. All right, guys. Speak to you soon.
uh, optimism out of this, of this everything mm. rally. Okay, and it has been quite optimistic, certainly since Wednesday. Uh, we are bracing for another theme, though, and that's earnings. Bank earnings are to the fore today, and then that sets the stage for uh, more earnings next week and, and a week after. What are we watching for in the bank earnings story, and what's going to be in focus for us, Ellie? Look, uh, we're getting three very big banks, uh, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and City. And, uh, we, we really want to see that. So there's there's two elements here. On the on the on the on the one hand, there's the loan loss provisions, right? Just how much losses are the banks expecting um, this this year? And, and and but at the same time, we want to see uh, how much of an impact has higher rates had. Now, higher rates generally good for banks, but what they really want to see is a steeper yield curve because they tend to lend money short term or, or borrow money short term and lend it out over the long term. So they need a re-steepening of the yield curve and they haven't had that yet. They've seen some re-steepening since the CPI numbers, but the yield curve in the US and elsewhere is still very inverted. And that is gonna is 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 a negative for the banks overall, particularly for the smaller regional banks. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about the timing mismatch in terms of the banking model, whereby higher rates means they are under pressure to pay more money to savers, especially because it's competitive to keep that deposit money in the United States. But at the same time, they're not able to increase the rates they charge on loans that have been signed years ago. So it's a sort of a, sort of a time mismatch in that one. Eddie, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Eddie Van Velt joining us from the Markets Live team. You can get plenty more analysis and insight from Eddie and the rest of the Markets Live team. NLIP Go is the function to use on your Bloomberg terminal. A crucial function certainly sets me up for this show, uh, reading that blog on the way into work in the morning. So that is it for Markets Today. European equity markets then fairly flat. We're waiting really for the early season we were just talking about with Eddie to sort of get kicked, to, to get started after we had that CPI print on Wednesday. That was certainly the big event of the week. Next week, plenty more UK data. If you want to get across some of that, the Bloomberg UK website has a link to the Markets Today blog. This is Bloomberg. In a world of chaos, find your calm. FX Pro trains like a pro. Well, it's really a reminder, isn't it, just how sensitive the markets are to any commentary about trade. We did see some pressure on the UN, we did see some pressure on the futures. That has now been reversed. <laughs> change around Bloomberg. I want everybody committed to the kind of action that we need. We have a global emergency now. You know, we're still putting 162 million tons of man-made global warming pollution into the sky every day, using the sky as an open sewer. That's trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 erosional class atomic bombs exploding every day. That's what the scientists tell us, and the, the data shows it. That's crazy. That's why we have a third of Pakistan underwater. That's why we have the historic heat wave in China. Nothing comparable to that ever. That's why the heat records are broken every year. And we're seeing an increase in the flows of climate refugees crossing international borders that are due to vastly expand unless we take action to solve the climate crisis. Nobody covers climate change like Bloomberg, your global business authority. 
When U.S. jobs numbers are released, Bloomberg brings you crucial data at terminal speed and instant expert analysis. Nobody covers jobs day like Bloomberg. We're investing a lot in a lot of different capabilities and features that makes the in-store shopping experience that much easier, that much more compelling, whether it's price check, browsing inventory in the store, so that we can really make that experience as convenient and as simple as possible. Convenient, simple, that's sort of what people have needed in the age of COVID. Is that here to stay, or do we go back when finally we all hope that the pandemic will be behind us in some way? Do our changing shopping habits go back again? What's really interesting about retail in my 20 plus experience is that convenience never reverts itself. Now, the form of convenience has shifted, whereas, say, in 2000, 2010, a lot of convenience was driven by more stores nearby. Now it's stores in addition to digital. There's nothing closer than the phone in your hand. Newsmakers and market movers, this is The Pulse with Francine Lockwood. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Pulse. I'm Francine Lockwood here in London with the conversations that matter, and here's what's coming up on today's program. Global stocks ahead for their best week this year on more soft inflation data from the U.S. and bets that the Fed's hiking cycle is appearing at end. Earnings season kicks off the Wall Street banks with results from J.P. Morgan, City, and Wells Fargo due today. We'll bring you any of the pre-market moves this hour. Plus, Burberry shares are lower as a luxury coat maker sees a rigid rebound in China and declining sales in the Americas. Now let's take a look at the European markets map. It's been a big week. So first of all, happy Friday also to the French viewers watching us. Happy Bastille there. Now, if you look at uh, some of the differences in terms of the FTSE 100 compared to the CAT 40, that is getting some three tenths of eight percent, and the DAX, which is down two tenths of eight percent, they're pretty minimal given the week that we had. Now, this is a week where we saw two inflation prints in the U.S. pointing to more price stability. So, investors now trying to figure out whether after uh, the hike in July for the Fed, which is 24th, 25th of July, pretty much priced in, whether we still need like Mr. Waller says, two more hikes or one more hike after that, or whether there's a little bit of a pause. So if you look at the week that was, this is what caught my eye. First of all, the U.S. two-year yield yesterday uh, was something to behold, because if you look at the seven-day mark, we did touch 5%, that was July the 6th, and then you can see as the inflation prints that came this week, now for a 60, so 40 basis points in terms of a change there. The impact, of course, is as investors it need to try and figure out if the Fed is now paused, but whether we're seeing cuts in the next six to eight months or whether we stay there. Now, the other story, of course, is dollar. This has a huge implication as we go into the earnings season because it changes everything for, for example, companies that have to repatriate and go back and report in their currency, such as the big luxury groups here in the uh, in Europe. So some of the major currencies compared to, for example, the dollar, you can see Norwegian krona, 6.14 spot returns, Swedish krona, also some of the big moves. But if you look at pound, and we talked quite a lot about pound because of the GDP figure and from the CPI figures as well, it's not nothing to be snubbed about. This is quite a big day um, in terms of, of the week that was for dollar weakness. And finally, it's earnings. So we have a lot of the banks later today that starts reporting with JP Morgan and City. But this is one of my favorite charts. It's looking at the earnings recession. And this is basically expectations that Bloomberg Intelligence puts together 
expectations on the per share growth, on the earnings growth that we can expect in the second quarter. And of course, it doesn't compare favorably compared to a year-on-year number compared to last year. But it'll be interesting to see the breakdown of this if it's healthcare to banks and what that means for, for example, margins. Now, the largest U.S. banks, whether they punishing first half largely unscathed. But now they just need to prove they can navigate a surge in expenses, regulatory changes, and price your deposits. Later today and in the coming weeks, of course, we'll get some of the answers to these unknowns. JP Morgan, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo kicking off second quarter earnings season today. Now for more, let's get straight to Bloomberg's Jan Patrick Barnett in Frankfurt. So JP, exactly what are we expecting for some of these banks? Uh, very good morning. So what we are expecting is not a, a great picture, and we heard already like from, from Goldman something very unusual that the bank did is in, in preparing the market and its investors um, that the quarter is not going to look great, and I guess it's going to be similar for, for the other banks as well, especially the big ones with trading activity. We know it's like tough comparables, but also the market is not like yielding very much for them in terms of uh, client activity and, uh, and margins there. And then, of course, we have all the legacy stuff. Uh, uh, let's say the, the, the fallout from, Mar- from March. We want to we hear about like what regulation is uh, causing an impact on, on capital and uh, on earnings, of course. And then there's the whole topic of interest rates that also needs to be discussed with the, with the banks, how they're fearing in that environment. So how is the yield environment actually challenging some of the interest rate expenses? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's becoming a little bit of a two-edged sword for, for the banks. I mean, like the, the positive impact from high yields on net interest income and net interest margin is uh, kind of getting more and more to as good as it is. And on the other hand, we have, like, since, since all the drama in March, we have seen a, um, a, a higher competitiveness when it comes to blind deposits. So banks have to pay up on, on interest rates there. And that's, of course, uh, eating into their bottom line. So, what's the impact from some of the new regulation that can come in place, especially in the U.S.? Yeah, that's the most interesting topic for me, to be to be honest. And I think like we we need to get lots more details from the from the CEOs and the CFOs how they fear. Um, how they are going to, do, to handle that, that matter. I mean, the banks overall in the world, and especially in the U.S., are well capitalized, uh, but still it's not clear how the new regulation will look like. And it's going to be very interesting to hear from, uh, from the top executives, like how they're preparing for it, what their expectations are, um, how they will handle dividends and buybacks going forward, if they, if they are more cautious to just be on the safe side, if there is like tougher regulation upon them, or if they feel like very easy about it. So this is, this is not going, about, going to be about numbers, this is going to be about the outlook and what they're telling us, and that's going to be, for, for me at least, it's going to be the most interesting part in, in that earnings season. Uh, JP, thanks so much. Ian uh, Patrick Barnett there in Frankfurt. Now, coming up, we'll be speaking to Mike Santomassimo, Wells Fargo CFO after the Wall Street Bank also reports. So, it'll be interesting to get his uh, thoughts also on uh, costs and, of course, some of the products that they could put on the market or not. Now, U.S. producer prices barely rose in June from a year earlier. It's really another sign that inflation is cooling after CPI even at the slowest annual pace since 2021. The figures will likely comfort federal reserve officials while boosting market hopes that the hanky campaign is near the end. Well, joining us now, Georgina Taylor, head of multi-assets at Investor. Georgina, great to have you on a big week. I mean, it was a huge week in terms of CPI and repricing and yields are all over the place. Is the Fed one and done after that July hike? It feels like that should be the narrative, and I think everyone is hoping that that's the narrative. Um, I mean, what's so interesting about this week is it's what everyone has been hoping and waiting for because they're all anchored in that environment and we know what to do when policy starts easing and the interest rate environment. I think it's probably too soon 
to call that. I think things are still quite open post that meeting. And I think we're still in data watching mode. Does one print really tell us that we've won the battle? I'm not so sure. Yeah, so, so how do you see it like panning out? Again, and I was in Sintra and it was, it was incredible, for, you know, the markets to price cuts and a lot of these Federal Reserve officials that were there trying to really push back and say, look, we need to get inflation under control. Is, is there a worry that in, inflation drops quickly because of all the hiking we've done so far that it's very difficult to mark? I think it's difficult because there's not a short, sharp shock that is feeding through economies right now. That is what's so difficult. It's almost like this slow drip feed mechanism that one sector of the economy gets impacted by tighter policy, um, others have a bit of a buffer. So, for example, there's been huge savings rates, so we haven't quite seen the hit to the consumer yet. Um, even with mortgages, there is this delayed reaction to, to higher rates really feeding through to someone's pocket and their spending. So, for us, that makes it quite a difficult environment in terms of investment. So, I think, yes, we think things will start to, you know, it's got to be about the growth narrative now. You know, is inflation slowing because actually demand is softening meaningfully? If there is genuine evidence that that growth dynamic is shifting, that's when maybe policymakers have to change their rhetoric, but that just isn't happening yet. Um, it's not clear. And, and, Regina, I guess I mean, you, you'll start seeing it in earnings. Right? They're, I mean, they're, they're not lagging kind of the economy, but they could give us a good indication of what chief executives worry about for the future. Well, exactly. And if chief executives don't have confidence, they are not going to spend money. And I think what this um, economic environment needs is investment. And so if we don't have the confidence of the corporate sector to really um, start planning for the future, then again, that just pushes out the recovery. And so that softening in growth doesn't have an offset anywhere coming through. So I think earnings will be key, but coming into this year, we all thought earnings were slow, and they didn't. Um, and so it keeps getting pushed out quarter by quarter. So the bulls have got more confident because it hasn't happened yet. Um, the bears have got slightly more cautious thinking, I just got this wrong. Um, but again, I think it's just that drip feed mechanism. It might not be all sectors in one go. So it's sector by sector, we've got to look at the evidence of margin risk, top line growth and really start piecing that jigsaw together as earnings season plays out. And Regina, I guess that you know dollar weakness was a big story. I don't know whether you expect that to last. There was also US yields bouncing around a bit. Yeah. So it's um, I mean it's interesting. There's a multi-asset investor. Um, the US dollar was our savior last year. Um, you know you, you got away with quite a lot if you had some some US dollar exposure. I think we just can't rely on it right now. And I think that interest rate differential story is wavering. But I would not give up on the dollar completely. Because I think if the growth narrative takes hold, then the US dollar just becomes more attractive. And the absolute difference versus other markets is, you know, could still be there. So um, I think don't give up completely, but maybe look elsewhere to balance the risk versus the dollar. Georgina, thank you so much for joining us. Regina Taylor, head of multi-asset investor, stays with us. And we'll talk a lot more about China and China's prospects. Now, there is also one story that we really wanted to bring to your attention because I think it's a money must read. We talk about the economy every day. We talk about inflation. Sometimes it feels like we only focus on the numbers and we forget the people behind the stories. There was something that really caught our eye and it's about rising homelessness in the US, but actually homeless families. I think the number is 30% higher compared to last year. And so there's this piece that we're pushing out on social media uh, talking about US family homelessness and how much it's been risen. It's written by Augusta Saraiva and I would really urge everyone um, to go and read it, to always keep in mind, of course, that the cost of living crisis also has huge, huge implications for real people. Now, coming up, we talk about sales in the luxury space. Burberry reports a decline in sales from the Americas. So we talk luxury, we talk China next, and this is Burberry. <laughs>
For the third consecutive year, the number of hedge funds on Interactive Brokers Platform increased at a higher rate than any other leading bank or broker. Interactive Brokers serves both organizations and individual investors. To get better results, switch to a better platform. The best informed investors choose Interactive Brokers. consultant and what are all these consultants doing well David I think that we actually defy the label consultant because sometimes consultant seems to imply that we only give advice and when you look at what Accenture does we're really different than the traditional version of a consultant we're really about relevance and results and that's what is uh, driving our business I'm about a consulting project in my example I'm the CEO I have a problem I call you up I say, solve my problem or give me a solution. We don't operate as big companies permanently in crisis mode. And so when you think about like, how long does it solve things, a lot of it starts with, you know, the company being willing to set aggressive goals. And so what we are trying to do now is work with our clients to work differently and to work faster. We've had sort of a shift in, are we in some sort of stagflation fears? Moment, people were talking about that all day yesterday. The conversations that matter, the insights you need, this is a Paul Central to Michael here in London. Now, Burberry has suffered a decline in sales from the Americas and a smaller than expected rebound in China. First quarter overall sales rose 18%. In the last three-month period, in line with estimates, the trench coat maker says it's mindful of the uncertain macro environment, well, macroeconomic environment, I think that's exactly how he put it. We're here to discuss all of this is Bloomberg Opinion Economist, Andrea Felschen, who, of course, always focuses on retail. So, Andrea, what does this, good morning, first of all, what does this tell us about, does it tell us more about the luxury market, or does it tell us more about Burberry because the chief executive is trying to revive it, and, and we also have a new creative director? It probably tells us more about Burberry than the broader market. The thing about Burberry is it's really focused at the moment on the premium sector rather than the super luxury sector. And it's the very rich that are spending. So in the US, for example, the US is weak because it's the younger, more aspirational shoppers that in past years have had stimulus checks, crypto gains, those, those are missing. So they're reining in their spending, right? But, but Brooklyn doesn't have that kind of like haute couture. I mean, is it trying to go 
that's ultra premium that's exactly what it's trying to do it's been on this journey to elevate the brand and elevate the prices and they certainly have gone up they've got this new creative director daniel lee he did a very good job at the take of Vanetta. so all of the expectations are on him to, to repeat that at burberry so Anna, you understand the sector really like few people in, in this business how long does it take to elevate so that prices i guess for the ultra ultra high net worth there's no price i mean chanel was putting up prices by 30%. So how long does it take for them to try and manage that transition? It takes a long time. Now, there are some grounds for hope. The, the sector is sort of changing. We've been in a very maximalist, Gucci-driven environment, bold print, logos. We've seen the return to this quiet luxury, much more muted, classic. Uh, because of succession. Because of succession. Also, just because of the economic environment, when, when we're feeling a little bit more downbeat, we're not quite as exuberant in our dressing. Now, Dan Woolley is one of the main proponents of that look at Bottega Veneta. And the other thing is one of the real emblems of quiet luxury has been the trench coat. So we've got those two elements going for it. If it can make the most of that, then it's got a good chance of success. I don't really think in China. I mean, I don't know how much of their sales they do in China, and the fact that we're really uncertain about what the economic environment is there at the moment. But before the pandemic, they got about forty percent of their sales from Chinese nationals. Yes. Um, okay. Um, China is coming back. Had about a fifty percent increase in sales, but some analysts were looking for more. Okay. Good so morning, everybody. We're really just trying to maximise profits, really, on our trades. Okay, Andrew, thanks so much. You're looking very shiv. I mean, I love, I'm a little bit obsessed with the succession. It's also quite really true about these luxury sales of Bloomberg Opinions. Andrew Appelstead on Burberry and the luxury sector. Now, China's central bank has signaled more targeted support, maybe on the cards for the country's property market. The PBOC also moved to reassure investors in the real estate sector, downplaying the risks what we absolutely have now is a structural failure to the downside if we fail to make new highs and it rolls back below 1204 we want to get out of that trade now so that's what the last two hours have have, have suggested we've got clearly defined lows you can see that the, the dollar looks like it's I think the key for, for markets and investors not so strong is now. And this is the problem with for China to almost come in with this stimulus package, which would be very large. This is what we really talk about. Um, and how the dynamics can be quite difficult because all of these brokerages they've got and all, all your market makers really they've got a bit of a dilemma because they're wanting to sell into this to try and create a bit of value and to stimulate a little bit of sort of volatility and profit taking and stuff. But if that doesn't happen, they just get slammed. So every time they try to sell, it's just met with excessive buying and you see prices make new highs and, and you know, that's basically what it, what it kind of an uptrend is, um, or, or downtrend for that matter. It's just in reverse. So, um, so you can see the dollar is kind of was strengthening there for a few hours and is now kind of clearly bouncing off their lows and um 
We're so close to our take profits anyway in both of these trades. It'd be nice if they just made new highs and, and we booked in profits. That would be the optimum solution. But if not, you know, if we break below 15.555, we're booking in profit. If we get below uh, the 12.04, we're booking in profit on the euro dollar. So it's kind of win-win at this stage. And, and because of that, we can bring our stop loss right up and... Um, let's so we'll either have a bigger win or a slightly smaller win um, but either way we're going to be booking up booking in profits at these prices so um not sure about adding any other trades doesn't look like certainly in the european session that it's kind of worth doing that but um let's take this low and we'll bring our stop loss right up which would then become a profitable exit. So um, so let's take this low, which is the 12.04. So really, just a few pips below the 1200. So the 11.98 would be our new stop loss, 11.98. It's just below the 112. So 11. 1198 1198 so that's you know um that's a decent move so like i said we're either booking in two times our risk or one times our risk we'll do the same with the s p so we'll take this low in here, which is uh, the 15.556 level, and we'll, we'll bring it down to the 15.545. Okay. So that's what a 300, 300 point swing is it so we're now up at these levels booking in profit regardless we either hit our profit or take profit to the upside or we hit our profitable exit to the downside so that's just safeguarding our interests regardless what happens And we, we really, to the downside, we really don't want to be booking in profit um, if, if we're talking about the potential for dollar strength. Um, we don't want to have a, a euro dollar buy trade. You know, open it, 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 it would be a kind of a counterintuitive trade. All right, so look, we'll just let these markets play out now. We'll either get a move higher or we'll get a move lower. So let's post those details now. Um, we might wrap it up, guys, unless you've got anything anything else to add. I'll just put on some a bit of a, see if there's any, any further analysis. Uh, 
Okay, so um, so let's get a little bit of a market update. Well, I just tidied this up, and then we might call it a day, guys, if that's all right. Asia Most Active was brought to you by Equities First. 
leaders in long-term equities-based financing. Would you stop calling each other rock stars? You're a rock star. You are a rock star. No one calling you co-workers rock star. But let's break a team's birthday to transform your business. But it still doesn't make you a rock star. So unless you work with an actual rock star. Hi, I'm Oswald. Hello, Oswald. Hey, you are a rock star. I wasn't gonna say it. All right, guys, so just to clarify, we've got our take profits, um, orders to the upside, and we've got our profitable exits built in to the downside. So irrespective of what happens, if it sits sideways, we'll obviously end up doing nothing. If it pushes higher and break new high, we book in these higher profit targets. And so we're in a nice position. We don't have to worry or stress about the trade. And let's hope uh, prices obviously end up continuing to push higher. And if so, let's book in that profit. Uh, let's see what we have this afternoon. And, um, you know, it'll be a chance to close out, you know, a really good week in the end. So, so Pat, good morning. Uh, if price continues to move higher, can we move or take profits? up higher if so to what levels yeah the the level is unknown so um it's unknown as of yet so um what what we're using is the consolidation that's that's been built now for uh this is 15 minute time frame so let's look at it in the hourly we'll get a bit of an hourly kind of breakdown so for most of yesterday and the day before really we've we've been ticking higher in the last two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, um, you know, we're in our thirteenth hour. You know, prices have not made huge progress to the upside. So what it's done is it's created a floor and a ceiling, which is what we can now use to um, uh, as as a as a as a level, a technical level that we can use to our benefit. So when you say if we push higher, let's just follow this price action. Let's say, you know, we push higher. Well, firstly, we've got our take profit in here. So we're, we're getting out at 15.640. So we've obviously got our take profit. So we'll be out of this trade anyway at this level. But let's say you didn't have a take profit and we did move higher. Um, what we'd be expecting is the market to push up to the upside and then we might see, you know, again, another period like this. And, you know, we'd be able to do exactly what we're doing here is kind of drawing our floor and ceiling. Um, this is what these markets do. They, they make a series of kind of floors and ceilings. And, you know, they, they move from one floor and ceiling to the other. This is, this is basically what support and resistance is. Um, so if the momentum is very much to the upside, which it is, you know, we would then be looking to for this market to move sideways for a period. That consolidation is very, very useful because it means indecision. It means buyers aren't 
too committed to the upside and sellers are not brave enough to start selling yet. So what you get is sideways pattern. So at the moment we can use this little low in here, which is a, it's a, it's a profitable exit now. Um, and that's only been created by 13 hours of kind of consolidation. Whereas if the price push higher, what would that price be? We don't know yet because we haven't been in this little sideways pattern for, for a number of hours. So we haven't created the, the floor and ceiling above these current prices yet. Does that, does that make sense? And this is why, you know, when you're day traders, you can, you can navigate these areas. And if it rolls over, we'd expect it to come back into this level in here. So that would be an area for us to start buying again. So it's a constant kind of evolution, but there's no predetermined uh, sort of higher level at which we can move our stop loss higher and, and follow it, follow it higher. Oh, sorry, I see the angle of your question. Sorry. Um, yeah, so you're saying, you know, uh, if prices move higher, can we move our, our, our take profit higher? Um, no, um, we don't. We don't change our stop loss. Once we get into so from from the, the time we get into the trade, we do our analysis to make sure that we we only risk a certain amount of capital and we're quite disciplined in that. And then we have a, a target in mind that if we achieve, we want to take profits at those levels. So we don't want to we don't want to mess with those two things. We don't want to move our stop losses lower to try and accommodate the market conditions. We do the opposite. We want the market conditions to 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 work with the levels that we use. So we always talk about these markets um, trading in line with our expectations. Well, if we put a stop loss in, you know, we never ever move our stop loss lower to accommodate, you know, this this sort of bit of volatility, for example. We we, we never do that because that that's that's not a. It's hard to be consistent if you do that. Uh, but it's the same with the take profit. So if you put in a take profit, there are there are levels where you identify where you know you'd be very comfortable uh, taking profits at those levels. So we don't move our take profits to the upside either, just because we've got a, a positive backdrop. Um, what we will do is book in the profit and we'll look for the next available opportunity. So sorry, I see the angle of your question now. I apologize. Um, I thought we were kind of referring to the, the profitable exit rather than the take profit order, which we have sitting here. Could we move that higher? No. Um, but if the take profit was, you know, uh, 500 points higher, for example, and then these markets extended up and then drifted sideways, we'd have a profitable exit. We'd be able to push that higher. So, um, yeah, I see what you mean there now. Uh, apologies for that. Um, so look, I mean, so far, so good. We've got the euro dollar looking to strengthen again. We're very close to taking profit on that. So we wouldn't be pushing that take profit higher in order to try and generate more revenue because what, what have we done? What have we achieved? We've, we achieved what we set out to achieve. Um, and it gives us a two for one risk reward. And, um, you know, really you need to be able to generate two of these a week, really on a net basis. So accounting for all, all of your potential losing trades, but if you can just do two for one, um, profitable risk reward trades a week, one or two, 
you'll be a very, very wealthy trader in time. Um, so it's literally a case of, you know, anytime we use a take profit order, it's kind of job done in that trade because that's what we were, we were aiming for. So anytime you get an opportunity to take profit, take it. Um, profit taking is only a good, a good practice to be, to be, <laughs> to be getting good at. And the more times these, these markets hit your take profit orders, the more confidence you'll have in your own ability and your understanding and the more that this environment will be, you, you'll find a bit of longevity in it rather than not hitting take profits and, you know, messing with your stop losses and, and doing all that sort of stuff that a lot of new and inexperienced traders will do. Um, we don't, we're not advocates of, of doing that. And, and if you, any, any profitable trades, a good trade. You know, losses are losses. You can't do an awful lot about them. Um, the market doesn't always go and move in line with your expectations. But over time, you know, if you've got a trading edge, you should be able to be right more often than you're wrong, if that makes sense. All right, guys. So, um, uh, this is my pleasure. That's what this is all about. It's, it's kind of a learning environment and, um, you know, feel free to ask all these sorts of questions. It's all about consolidating what, you know, what you yourself know. And unfortunately, um, Um, so, uh, yeah, we can often use, um, and ho hopefully at some point today, we'll be booking profit on these two trades and, um, we've already had a profitable week. We've already sort of exceeded our targets for the week. So this is all just extra profit. Um, which we won't say no, but we will be very um, disciplined not to give back any profits now. All right, then, guys. Um, so listen, on that note, there's, as you can see, there's sort of limited volatility, really. There's not really a huge amount to get stuck into across all major global markets at the minute. So a bit of a quiet trading day, and it may very well fizzle out like that. We'll have to wait and see, but um, we'll see what this afternoon brings. But at the moment, it looks like it's lighter conditions. We've had a very eventful week. And these markets go through, you know, as you can see, you know, very excited, volatile periods. And, and in the drop of a hat, it can just, you know, die off really, really quickly. And we want to be sensitive to that because if the markets are dying off and we can see that, you know, we're less likely to be jumping in, you know, and putting two, three, four, five trades in. So we will adapt accordingly to the market conditions right great stuff on that note guys thanks so much for joining us appreciate um you joining us and um we'll be back again at 12 45 for the us trading session the last trading session of what's been a very very busy week a very profitable week but a very busy one so um i hope you've been able to benefit accordingly and uh we'll do it all again next week fingers crossed so on that note guys thanks so much for joining us do take care 
and we look forward to uh, seeing you on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. Bye for now. Sorry, that was for those of you that are um, not able to join us this afternoon. If we don't see you this afternoon, we look forward to seeing you Monday. Take care, guys. Bye for now.